0: Sentire media.
1: Hello, you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 136 Savoy, Amadeo VIII, from Count to Duke to Pope, 1391 to 1451. We last left our seemingly endless succession of Counts of Savoy named Amedeo with the mysterious death of Amedeo the Seventh, the Red Count. This event had left his barely eight year old son as the heir to the county and that young boy was named, would you believe it, Amidale. Where his father and grandfather had been strong and macho, keen jousters, fighters and hunters, this new Amidale was a weak, scrawny and sickly cross-eyed young boy prone to melancholy and feelings of loneliness. This was not helped by the fact that his mother also soon left for a new marriage and the boy was placed under the regency of his grandmother, Bona of Bourbon, to whom he was very attached. But in time she was also sent away and Amadeo found himself surrounded by nobles jockeying for influence. The court of Burgundy in particular had a strong influence on him, with Duke Philip the Bold of Burgundy managing to marry his daughter Maria to Amadeo. When the start of the 15th century, Amadeo VIII of Savoy came into power. He soon showed that, although physically weak, he would be no pushover, and would prove to be a very shrewd politician always managing to get the best out of every situation he found himself in. His calm approach earned him the name Amadeo the Peaceable. For example, when the madness of King Charles VI of France provoked a civil war in the country, the Savoy managed to play both sides of the conflict. One particular tactic to do this was to use the knights of the household on one side on one occasion and then another side in another occasion and then blame events on the initiative of the individual members of the household. Amedeo did the same on this side of the border, managing to cleverly tread a balance between Milan on one side and Florence and Venice on the other. A big moment for the Savoy came on the 9th of February 1416, when the Count managed to get King Sigismund of Luxembourg to transform the county into a duchy. From that point on, until they became kings, the rulers of Savoy would be dukes. You'd think that would be enough of an achievement for this prudent line of rulers, but the VIII also consolidated the stretch of land from their holdings down to Nice with the acquisition of important castles, but also east to Lombardy with the acquisition of the city of Vercelli, moving their borders close to the Sesia River and to more modern borders between the regions of Piedmont and Lombardy. At the same time, he also extended his holdings in France, Amadale VIII is also remembered for making a pretty good attempt at getting all of these lands under some sort of unified administrative control. In the year 1430, he collected all of the laws of the areas he controlled, very diverse for culture and tradition, under a series of statutes that were a pretty good compromise between centralised power and local diversities. This was quite a feat, if you consider that we are talking about lands that go from French Savoy, almost untouched by the communal fad, to the very communal Piedmont area. In a certain sense, you could say that these statutes represented a passage from the feudal medieval to the modern period for the duchy. At the top of the admin pile was a council directly around the duke himself, known as the Concilium Cum Domino Residence, which had general executive, legislative, and judicial power over the duchy. Then there were lower councils called Concilium Camerlenki Residence, first only in Chambéry and then in Turin. Finally, they were the Castellania in local areas, with differing kinds of representation and varying power according to the varying geographical realities. Alongside these bodies, there were the hotels of the duke and his single family members, organisations responsible for taking care of their daily needs. Throw in a financial and administrative reform as well as the political one and you had a nice little package for Duke Amadeo of Savoy. He had extended his holdings, consolidated them, been made a Duke, sorted out the organisation of his duchy. Now, I imagine you long-term, dear, dear listeners are expecting me to say something like what could possibly go wrong? Well, In this case, I don't need to say it because in 1434, at the height of his power and prestige, Amadeo VIII decided he had had enough. It was time for this peace and quiet, loving, attention avoiding Duke to have a well deserved rest. He left his son Ludovico Louis as lieutenant and headed off to the monastery of Ripaglia, Ripal, near Thonon de Bagne in modern-day France. One would imagine at this point that he lived out his days in silent, peaceful contemplation, and why not the occasional little prayer? Not at all. He continued to govern the duchy from the monastery. After all, he had brought most of his closest friends and magnates with him. Also, the monastic life he lived was, well... Not quite so monastic, with loads of banquets taking place, wine flowing in, and a considerable number of ladies. Basically, you could say that Duke Amadeo and his mates set up a giant man cave for themselves. So, now maybe you can say, okay, so you just wanted to tell us about the man cave, then he lived out his life partying. Well, no, not really. What happened in the next phase of the Duke's life was quite surprising, although his critics would have claimed that it was no surprise to Amadeo, although it seems rather a long shot that he had planned everything. To set this up, we need to head back for a sec to the Council of Constance, the same one which resolved the Great Western Schism in 1418. You will remember that at the end of the 14th century, the cardinals elected Urban VI. Then, they didn't like him and changed their minds and elected Clement VII and then everybody argued about it for a few decades. Then, a council was convened in Constance in 1418 and they deposed all the other popes hanging around and elected Martin V. This set up an interesting precedent. A council had intervened to depose a bunch of popes. So, what that meant in the end was that the authority of the council was greater than that of the Pope himself. This made for some council members with big ideas. Also, the kings of England and France were more than pleased to have an opportunity to get their bishops out from under the clutches of the papacy in Rome. Now, the Council of Constance had set out a clause, the Concilio Frequence which meant that the Pope was required to convene regular councils, and Pope Martin V dutifully did this, convening one in 1431. This is known in Italian as the Concilio di Basilea, after Basel in current-day Switzerland. While I believe in English it is known as the Council of Florence, where it eventually ended up. To be correct, we would have to call it the Council of Basel, Ferrara and Florence the three cities it took place in. It was moved from Basil to Ferrara because the Pope felt the councillors were getting too big-headed, and then to Florence due to a wave of plague that hit Ferrara. Martin V convened it, but he must have thought it was too much bother, so he decided to die, and it was actually opened by his successor, Eugene IV. The real purpose of the event was to try and reconcile the Western and Eastern Church Schism, and for a very short time it seemed it might happen, but in the end it didn't, so we'll leave that to the Pontifex podcast to deal with when they get there. What we are interested in is the fact that Eugene was not having any of this council over the papacy business at all. The Pope was the boss. He always had been, and always would be, and he, Eugene, was Pope. Tensions rose until finally in 1439, the council deposed Eugene, declaring him rebellious, guilty of simony, and being a schismatic. They also possibly blew their noses at him, and called his auntie nasty names. At this point, in the eyes of the council, There was a vacancy for Pope, so in their newly discovered super-council powers, they started shopping around for one. The situation was complicated and not many people wanted to get into what seemed like yet another schism, so many who were approached refused. Then someone had a thought although some contemporaries suspect that the thought was put into their heads by the man in question. The thought was this. Don't we know an able politician who just recently has left the public life behind to live life as a sort of spiritual recluse, the so-called Hermit of Ripaglia? Would you believe it? In 1439, Duke Amadeo VIII was made Pope Felix V. Felix meaning happy, so enter stage-left Pope Happy. The following year he definitively abdicated the duchy in favour of his son Ludovico and got down to a bit of poping, an activity which of course included elevating a load of his mates to cardinals. The mini-schism lasted until the death of Eugene IV in 1447. His successor, Nicholas V, was a bit more diplomatic, and Amadeus VIII, Felix V, accepted to abdicate to reunite the Church. Also because, once again being a pragmatic politician, he understood that he would never get enough support to get the upper hand. So, in 1449, he abdicated, recognizing Nicholas V as the one true Pope. He would be The last anti pope in the history of the Catholic Church. Having bowed out graciously, he was showered with honours and was allowed to keep all of the privileges he had acquired, as well as his men keeping the positions they had acquired. In apparent defeat, a political masterstroke. He continued to enjoy his prestige and counsel his son, the Duke, until his peaceful death in 1451, at the age of 67. He is buried in the Cathedral of Turin, the same location of the Holy Shroud, which, more than likely, is not the real Holy Shroud. So, so, with the Savoy in Piedmont, we have brought all of the areas of the Italian peninsula into the 15th century, and it's time for a recap before we start going round all over again. In the next round, We'll be getting out of the 15th century and even sadly saying goodbye to the Middle Ages. We'll also turn our attention to include some other areas that are about to get a bit more interesting, such as Trentino and Why Not, the Republic of San Marino. If, like me, you are a bit sad at the idea of leaving the Middle Ages, I hope you will find consolation in the fact that we will be introducing a few colourful characters names you might have heard. Sforza, Medici, Borgia, Michelangelo Buonarroti, Leonardo da Vinci, and a guy
0: called Cristoforo Colombo. I hope you decide to stick with us. Thank you very, very much for listening. Grazie. Thanks
1: in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, Starting with the first half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level Alison H, Amanda D, Anthony G, Bill S, Brian J, Carrie W, Celine, Cindy M, Dean V, Dominique T, Emily B, Federica R, Francisco A, Gabrielle S, Greg, Gunnar, Ignazio, Il Valentino, Jane J, Jeff M, Jeff S, Jeffrey W, lovely collection of Jeffs there, Jesse and Shari, Joseph S, and Juan Diego. Let's not forget the Tippy Talk Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri level, Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Peter W. Peter, if you haven't had the opportunity, I've put out a thank you video for you, as I have been doing with the top donors, Kevin O, David L, Rinat, David C, Oak, JW, and Sen. Remember, if you are so inclined, you can get in touch, hello, at ahistoryofitaly.com. At the same URL, you can click through to the support page and become a Patreon supporter, or go over directly to patreon.com slash Italy and join to have access to extra content, as well as ad-free episodes. I would also like to welcome the newest members of our Patreon family, Dale S, David F, Owen M, and welcome back to Mark L. I would also like to take the opportunity to thank Danimal303 and what I believe is to be read as lame for their lovely reviews. I'm not sure what effect reviews have on visibility and all that, but it definitely makes me feel all warm and tingly inside. So go ahead and do that if you have the time. And I thank you very much. Once again, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, arrivederci. Hello, just a quick end note to tell you that we did have a sketch prepared here, but unfortunately I wasn't able to coordinate with my actors to get it out in time. You know, these busy actors with all their going to school and having friends and all that ridiculous business. Anyway, we will be putting the sketch from this episode onto the Patreon content, so now is a perfect time to join. Thanks again. Bye.
0: And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com at S-E-N-T-I-R-E-Media dot com and find out how to submit your show.